Hi, I'm Heidi Bragg, and this is Life, Cancer, Etc. The goal of this podcast is to connect you with resources that will improve your life so you can be happier, more resilient, and less stressed. All right, so today I'm talking with Dr. Arash Nagavi. He is my, emphasis on the my, radiation oncologist, just like his nurse Lori is my nurse. Uh, I love them dearly. They have made this process so much uh, easier and more straightforward for me over the last, what, two and a half years now. So he's, he's who I wanted to talk with. Um, and have answered some of your questions about radiation in general. So, hey, good morning. Good morning. Glad glad you invited me. Are you really? Yes, of course. <laughs> oh, is my is, is my camera off? Yes, of course. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm leaving that in. Okay. Um, so, can you first of all just kind of tell a little bit about yourself and sure. you know whatever you're willing to share about that stuff, and then I want to ask you why radiation, why oncology and why radiation oncology specifically? Sure. So, uh, at, you know, as, as you'd mentioned, I'm a radiation oncologist at Moffitt Cancer Center. Uh, I am the sarcoma section chair for the department. Um, I'm also an assistant program director for brachytherapy. I specialize in personalized medicine, uh, where I combine genetics and radiomics to help customize treatment for patients. Um, and, uh, you know, I think my main focus is on sarcoma because sarcomas are a vastly heterogeneous group that are made up of all different types and pathologies. And I feel like that there's still a lot of room and improvement in the care for these people, these patients. Yeah, like me. Um, and personalized medicine is like no doubt because I feel like when I walked in there, it was like, all right, we're kind of in a little bit of uncharted territory. So here are your options, and this is what I recommend. And I, I've, I've always felt like the stuff you were doing was tailored specifically to me, my kind of cancer, where it was, my case, et cetera. And that's, as a patient with something that's very overwhelming, that's really reassuring. So thanks. Yeah. Well, you're you're welcome. And and I think you know part of it is is that over decades, because these things are so rare it's difficult to really nail down something that's going to be more or less helpful for people. And so in, I think now with the advances of genetics and radiomics, I think now we're able to kind of start, you know, integrating some of this technology and, and really uh, bringing uh, this personalized approach to patients, even for rare cancers like this. Yeah, it really, I'm, yeah, I can't speak highly enough about Moffat and the people I've been able to work with there. Okay. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, like a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of brought you into oncology and then why you specialized in radiation oncology. Sure. So uh, originally born and raised in Texas, um, I was a wrestler in high school. So naturally, the first profession I always thought I would want to be is a <laughs> professional wrestler, you know, like, ooh, brother, like the macho man, you know, and uh, I was convinced, oh no, I, me and my brother would fake wrestle and, uh, and damage all the furniture and, and, and drive my mom insane. Wait, but for uh, real? eventually, for real? yeah, no, this is for real. This is for real. I was a rash, the smash and my brother was crushed. 
And, uh, and we, we were, we would put on little like performances that no one was watching. And, uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Actually, the one time we got in a lot of trouble because there was a mobile home that was on our property that my mom wanted to sell. It came with the property she bought. And me and my brother went in there and pretend wrestled. And like, I, I pulled him, like I was going to pull him against the ropes and he slipped and fell through the sheetrock when you have a guy who's like six foot, my brother is a giant. He's like six feet something, basically barreling through the sheetrock with a big, you know, brown person indention through the entire thing. Oh, my mom oh was so my furious. We tried so hard to cover it up. There's no way to cover that up. No. So anyway, no, not. <laughs> so I digress. Um, yeah. So eventually uh, my parents were both teachers and I had a passion for teaching. Um, and when I went to college, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a math and science teacher. Uh, I, I did my degrees in math and biology and I'd always tutored. And, you know, I even after I graduated, I had, I had been doing some you know teaching on the side and they came up to me and were like, listen, um, you know, you've done a lot of work in mathematics and in genetics. Can you do some research? And so I started doing some research specifically in genetics and kind of like marrying the mathematics and biology part, I really started to kind of look more at, you know, different genes and how they could affect cancer and and biology and things like that. And it's really the first exposure I had to uh, tumor biology. And I ended up doing a master's with them. Um, And during that time, that's when I started to first recognize that maybe my calling isn't just teaching, but maybe using some of my strengths to kind of help you know, push treatment forward. And so eventually after that, you know, I went to medical school in Galveston and, you know, it continued to solidify what I wanted to do. And I came to Tampa for residency where I met Dr. Harrison, who's like world renowned for treatment of sarcoma and brachytherapy. And, you know, he really kind of took me under his wing and, you know, continued to, um, you know, encourage me and, and, and educate me in all of these things. And now I have the opportunity to really help people um, improve the way we treat patients. And as an attending, you know, I still get to teach. So it has like all of the things. And and that's where I am today. Yeah, you've always got students, like always. They're residents. I don't know how many. I've known like four, five in the last two and a half years, maybe I've met. So how many do you have at one time? How many residents? Usually I have one at a time. Uh, for okay. the sarcoma portion. For the brachytherapy, I also usually have one. So it's somewhere between zero and two at any given time. So what does brachytherapy mean? Yeah, so brachytherapy is, uh, it, by definition, is a close radiation. It's primarily internal. So uh, in sarcoma specifically, you can do external radiation, basically where you're treating from the outside in. But there was the original trial from the 90s that was published by Dr. Harrison, and where when they go in to do the surgery, the radiation oncologist actually goes in and sews in these catheters, which, you know, act as the conduit to which the radiation seeds can go in. And so you you sew these catheters where the tumor was, you know, you close the wound, and then once it's healed, radiation seeds are delivered through those little catheters, you know, like hollowed out straws Uh uh and radiates from the inside out. And so what it allows you to do is like really hit the area where the cancer was to a much higher dose and the dose rapidly drops off. And so you're not radiating through a lot of things to get to where you need to be. 
And so the outcomes for it is actually really good. Um, but with technology, as it's continued to advance, we now kind of move to different external beam radiations where we're really able to kind of conform the dose much better. You know, this is like the IMRT or the intensity modulated radiation therapy. Um, there's also proton therapy, which is uh, a different, a whole different beast. Um, and then you still have the internal, but right now we use the internal primarily in settings of like, you know, children where you want to minimize the radiation dose right. or people who've had radiation before, where you really are trying to make sure that the dose to the surrounding structures is, is kept at a minimum. Okay. So the, the Varian machine, cause I, I think it was on a Varian machine. What kind mm-hmm. of, what was that? Like what kind of machine was that? I would say probably 95% of patients who get treated get treated by a machine very similarly. Uh, It's a photon-based radiation. Photons are basically high-powered x-rays. So, you know, most of what we treat with is a high-powered x-ray. It is a massless energy. So theoretically, when, you know, when we're calculating the dose, everything is about probability. Where is Mm -hmm. the probability that this photon will land and deliver dose. But theoretically, a photon could go through your body, through the floor, through the earth, you know, into outer space and and still not deliver the dose because it has no mass. So it's all about probability. So because of that, you know, when we're creating your plan, your plan is probably within 99% probability of where the dose is actually being delivered. And because it's, it's massless, theoretically, when you're treating, the dose beyond the tumor is going to get some dose. And so that's why like when we're treating like, for example, the heart, the things that are around it will also get some radiation dose. And that's yeah, and like it's called lungs. exit dose. Exactly. Okay. It's called an exit dose. So as it goes through the area it wants to treat, it, some of that dose can continue on and it can deliver an exit dose. So with that, uh, now we've kind of moved on to like protons. So yours was photons. Protons actually has a mass. So you imagine that they take these protons that have a mass and they hurl them at patients. And they actually, because they have a mass, they have a predictable um, stopping point. So mm-hmm. they basically go to a stop, you know, they go in and then they have a predictable stopping point. And so like what happens water is water balloons that, against a wall, kind of, you're saying. I'm trying to make yes. it visual for yeah. people. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like throwing water balloons against a wall. Like, you know what the energy is. And you know that uh, what the mass is. So you know roughly the distance it can go before it stops. And it's really helpful. Protons have been shown to be helpful in pediatrics because, you know, that minimal amount of exit dose beyond your target Mm, can be very detrimental to a developing body. You know, even low doses of radiation could cause growth defects and, you know, issues with, you know, growth plates and asymmetry and things like that. In adults, that low dose is usually very tolerable. So they don't really, you know, our body does a pretty good job of low dose of recovering from it every day. That's the reason why you don't really get much toxicity from that low dose of radiation. With protons, it's kind of beneficial in in the re-irradiation setting because just like with, with internal radiation, you're like, well, you know, the spinal cord already got a good bit of radiation. I really want to make sure that the spinal cord does not get any more dose. You can stop it right before the spinal cord. And so that's kind of one of the benefits of protons. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. The problem with protons is, and I, and I will tell you, is that photons are much more forgiving 
meaning that if a person kind of wiggles around or is not in the perfect position, photons still do a pretty good job of delivering the dose over the area you, you, you'd like to treat. Protons, because they have a mass, if you were to even be slightly tilted, and now it's having to go a little more through bone and a little less through, let's say, lung to get there, the trajectory can completely change. Okay. Um, and because of that, you have to give a little bit of wiggle room for that. So what they do is they call something called robustness so that, you know, the volumes actually end up being a little bit bigger to account for possible motion day to day that the proton trajectory can change. So in so some settings, it's not plus or minus, you know, whatever, right? Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the, the drawbacks to protons and is the reason why I think photons and protons for most cases are very, are very similar. So for me, the reason we did photon is because my heart was moving. Basically, that was exactly. the best way to deliver that dose. Okay, that makes sense. It's funny because I've asked you a lot of questions, but I haven't asked you this, which is really interesting for me. Um, okay, that's a very good explanation, actually. So what do you wish people knew when they came to their first visit? Like what would be some helpful information for people to have when they walk in the door the first time? Because as Lori and I discussed, you're kind of just deer in the headlights. Yeah. I think that, you know, knowing about your, having the right questions, I think is important. You know, having some idea of what your cancer is and what that means. But I mean, I think the biggest thing that I wish most patients knew is that, you know, you're, you're going through a lot and it can be scary. And I I think one of the important things to know is that, you know, you're coming into a place where nurses, therapists, doctors, you know, they all want the same thing that you want. You know, they're invested with you. They want you to have a life without cancer and fight alongside you, you know, every step of the way. So, you know, know that uh, when you come to talk to them, that, you know, have a, have questions. I think it's important to have questions. Um, and sorry, I'm just, I, they're, they're calling me from work. Um, hold on Do you want to pause this for a second? Yeah. Can we pause it for a second? So we're doing this interview on his day off and he's also dealing with calls from work. The people I know who are trying to fight cancer are, it's a passion for them. They're dedicated to that. It's not just a job. And so once he finishes the call from work, then we jump back into our conversation. Hello. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Okay. Uh, Where were we? Well, you were talking about how, um, how you guys are invested. Here's, here's what I think is interesting is you and Lori said almost exactly the same thing. And, for the most part, I think the people who go into oncology go in because they have a passion for that. I, I don't think you can be in oncology long term and be a jerk who's insensitive to the the to everything that people are going through. Did you go through it because someone in your family had cancer? Like, did did this not go through it? Did this appeal to you because of that, or you got in? You were saying you got in through the science. Did you have anybody in your extended family that had had cancer? No, not anyone who has been, you know, not anyone that I was very close with. Okay. What I will say, though, is that, you know, I, it was started off with cancer biology. But when I did my rotations in medical school, I, the patients who had cancer were probably some of the bravest and, uh, you know, the, the funniest patients that I've ever worked with. 
And I, they just had like a, huh? The snarkiest? Definitely the snarkiest, top five, for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, and it's, it's just that they, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, once they, once they accept whatever it is, uh, and are willing to kind of move forward, their attitude is just so great. And you see that, and it, and it really just kind of puts everything in perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, another question from one of our listeners, can you get radiation to the same area twice? And the answer to that is maybe. So, you know, there are a few things that we take into account when we're trying to determine if you can radiate a second time. The first is, you know, how much radiation dose did that area get? Um, How long has it been since the last time that they got radiation? And what are the things that are nearby that could be potentially damaged? And so, Uh, usually we like to have at least six months apart because the body does recover some from the previous radiation, Mm. but, uh, it never fully recovers. It's, it still remembers some of that dose. So, you know, that's why we, we worry that when radiating a second time, you have a higher risk of side effects that you potentially could have had the first time around. So whether that's, you know, skin fibrosis, muscle fibrosis, you know, bone fracture, ulceration, um, damage to nerves, blood vessel, bone, you know, organs, you know, all these things are taken into account. So for example, if a person had something on their arm and they were treated once, and then 10 years later, something comes up in that, in that area, that area you probably could treat safely. I don't think that there's an issue with that. If you have something near the spinal cord and it got very close to the dose that is max for the spinal cord or what we consider to be safe, and three months later, another tumor crops up just nearby. In that situation, no, right? Because the yeah. timing and the organs nearby. Okay, that makes good sense. Uh, the last listener question I have is: Why do they publish statistics about cancer when the numbers and treatments seem to change so quickly that the statistics don't mean much? Yeah, I think just like with anything. Um, it's always important to have an updated perspective of what's happening, whether it's where we are with cancer, whether it's what the outcomes look like. And and all of this is with newer technology. So in most studies, if you even go back where they look at different treatment modalities and how this helps patients, one of the things that the biggest thing is time. You notice that like, even with the quote unquote, same treatment, over decades, patients' outcomes get better and better. Mm-hmm. And it may be a combination of technology. It may be a combination of the physician's education or approach. But we know that with time, outcomes continue to get better and better. So I think it's really kind of getting more of a updated, you know, this is the best treatment approach now with the technology that we have today. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it's really... Interesting to me because uh, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but maybe I did. I have a genetic abnormality that predisposes me to pre- certain cancers. Oh, by the way, we just found out that our oldest two kids for sure don't have that, don't have Lynch, which is... Oh, that's great. Yeah, awesome news. So, um, and it's it's interesting to me because um, I had a sister who died of cancer. I had an aunt who died of cancer. They both died of brain tumors. And so far, they haven't found a genetic link between those 
and the genetic abnormality I have or a genetic predisposition. But things may change in the future. I was talking to Dr. Broll about that. And he's like, yeah, so far there's no, there's no research that shows that there's a link. But it's interesting is all these things evolve over time and treatments change. Like when you were telling me about the, like if I have to get radiation again, that uh, there's the there's a linear accelerator that's combined with an MRI machine. And I just thought that's brilliant. That's brilliant to have something that can deliver a dose like that. Yeah. I mean, that's actually some of the, the, one of the newest pieces of equipment that's out. And the benefit is, is and the coolest part about it is that it can treat in real time. So actually the radiation beams only turn on when the, when the tumor is in its sights. So as the tumor is moving, as your heart's beating, if it's, if it's basically moving in and out of the frame, it, the radiation beam only turns on when it's in the frame. So what it's allowing us to do is really be tighter on the radiation field. So we don't have to be, in your case, for example, when we first treated you, you know, we had to, I had to be more generous because I needed to account for everywhere this tumor will be during your heartbeats. Mm-hmm. With the MRI LINAC, you now can actually tighten up how you radiate because you're basically saying, I only want you on when the tumor is in the field. And that's with an MRI. So you actually get a better resolution of tumor as it's moving than you do with a CT scan. No, I think that's brilliant. Uh, And you know this, but for anybody who's listening, we're moving to Oregon next year. And this, these, him, Lori, Dr. Bolt, these people are why I'm going to fly back here every quarter for my visits because these people... They know my case. They're invested in my case. They're invested in me, and they specialize in exactly what my issue has been. And so, for me, it's worth it to fly across the country every quarter just to get the kind of this level of treatment. So, that was a little compliment I threw in there. I don't usually do that for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, Wait, what's a compliment? Thank you. I, shut up. Okay, it's not that bad. It's very new to me. It's not that bad. Now, you know, I think you guys are awesome. Okay. Um, so I was going to ask you some. Oh, can you explain about, because uh, I had no idea about this, a dosimetrist and what they do with mapping? Sure. So, you know, each person in the, the creation of a person's plan uh, has a different role. So you have radiation therapists. Therapists are the ones who will help you at the time of simulation. They will help make sure that you're set up every day the same way and that everything is as we had planned. Um, After the simulation, I actually will go through slice by slice through your scan and identify all the areas where I think cancer may be and all the things I want to try to avoid. I then create this boarding pass, which is essentially like, these are the radiation dose criteria that I want this, this, and this to get. So I want the tumor to get this dose. I want the heart to only get this dose. And I want the spinal cord to only get this dose. I hand this, these instructions to a dosimetrist. And what a dosimetrist does is they try to figure out, and they usually will work with, with the physician, what angles they need to come in from, how much dose from each angle, and you know exactly what energy beams to use to be able to meet all of those things that we asked for. And so they will kind of work, and this, 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 this takes about one to two weeks, where they'll kind of figure out combination of you know, which arrangement of beams and things like that. 
And after that's all said and done, you know, they show it to us and we kind of will critique and say, well, I would actually prefer this, you know, lower dose here and maybe a little bit more dose to the tumor here. And, you know, and it's kind of a, a, a fluid process. After all that's done, then it goes to a physicist and a physicist, actually, their job is to make sure that this is an actual uh, treatment that can be implemented, right? Because at the end of the day, we could figure out all sorts of weird angles that we want, but we can't defy the laws of physics. Okay. And then once that's done, you know, they do a quality assurance check and they actually will, will check to see if, it's, if the dose is delivered effectively on a dummy which is like a water, uh, you know, which is a water representation of, of, a, of, of a human. And then that's it. Then the patient starts their treatment. I remember, do you remember me bugging you about why it was taking, like, I just want to get started. I just want this thing out. I want it, you know, and, and you were explaining, this is before we knew each other very well. You're like, well, Miss Bragg, um, you know, it, this is, it's got to go through this process. And I remember you calling me and saying, I would rather it took another week and we got it exactly right than to rush into something. And I was like, okay, right. fine. If you want to use logic, we'll go with that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think a week's time is going to affect you, but, you know, once we give radiation, we can't take it back. So, and, and I am especially very particular. Uh, a lot of people mumble it under their breath usually. Um, Shocking. But yeah, it, I know. I mean, but the thing is, is like, I, I think to myself, what was, would I accept this plan for myself? If I had this, you know, would I be happy with this radiation plan? And, and, and the thing is, is the dosimetrists that I work with are excellent. And they have the same mindset as me. They're like, you know, Dr. Nagavi, I, I got the plan with all the things that you, that you asked for, but I think I can do a little better in this area. And I'm like, okay. You know, if, if you can do it within the time frame, you know, the, you know, without delaying the patient, and they will work tirelessly day and night. That was pretty... It was just pretty interesting because I didn't even know they were part of the process. And then to realize how integral they are and how crucial they are to making sure you get the the best possible treatment plan, that was pretty cool. I actually saw, I'm not sure if she was the one who did mine, but I saw a couple of them eating lunch together in the cafeteria one of the days. And it said something like dosimetry on their badge. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, that could be one of the people that helped. Um, yeah, it was just... I think when you come in there, you're so freaked out and you just want the process done. And this is not a slow process. Like in my case, it was 30 treatments. So five days a week for six weeks. And mm -hmm. you go every day and, and, and you just want it to be done. You want to know this is part of your life that, you know, you had to go through and then you can move forward. It's not a slow process and that's okay. That was a hard thing to accept for me because I'm kind of like, okay, chop, chop, let's go. Let's get this done. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and that's how it is. I think, you know, I would be the same way and it's hard not to be, uh, yeah. you know, it, sometimes, sometimes, especially when you find out, you just want to like, you know, put your head down and just move forward as quickly as possible. And, uh, sometimes you just have to trust the process and know that, you know, there, whatever the delays are, it's really for your benefit. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I, and I will also ahead. comment that like how we used to treat way back in the day. So, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times there's a misconception of what radiation is and what we do um, and that all radiation is the same. And even if you were to take two radiation oncologists, that their treatment would be exactly the same with the exact same case. 
And that's not really true. And it used to be true because it used to be that the technology was so limited that if a person had like a five centimeter tumor on their arm, they would say, okay, well, yeah, it's five centimeters. We're going to go about five centimeters beyond that. And then they basically bazooka style would treat from two different beams, you know, from front to Mm -hmm. back. And, uh, you know, it, it, everyone would do the same thing. Right. And, and the toxicity was terrible because you're coming in from just two angles, but it's hard to miss, right. You're, it's hard to miss the tumor. And, uh, it's, it's really kind of almost dummy proof. But now that we've become more sophisticated, we actually come in from hundreds of different angles so that no one angle causes issues for, you know, for the normal tissue or for the patient. And now it becomes a situation where now no two treatment plans are going to be the same. You know, if you have a different dosimetrist or a radiation oncologist, you may not be getting the exact same kind of plan and the exact same kind of care. And that's one of the things that I, especially for rarer cancers where, you know, I think experience is very important. It's one of the things that I, um, I make sure that the patient knows before they leave. Yeah. Well, and, and, but that's where the art comes into it, right? Like you can have the scientific background and that's great. And you know all the the facts and the figures, but I think just listening to you talk Hello? about this, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry, it cut out. Okay, I think that's where the the art comes into it. It's like yes, there's a huge science base that you have to have to do this, but it feels like to a degree there's an art, and and I don't know. It almost it's almost like um, painting something. Like you've got all the ingredients there to do it, but how you put that together can be different. It is. It's exactly like that. And a lot of people will will make well, a lot of my coworkers laugh because they say every plan Dr. Nagavi wants it to be the next Picasso painting. Uh, and it's because, I, you know, I really want to try to take my time to make sure that that there is not an area that does not need radiation that that I'm contouring. Well, and thanks, because, no. you know, it was my heart. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I think that's important. I, and I think, um, I actually talked about this with someone the other day. It's really important to have providers that you have confidence in and that you trust. I think you have to have that collaborative relationship. What do you, what do you have to say about that as the physician? Collaborative relationship. Um, I, I think that especially at a large cancer center like Moffitt, it's something that's just a big, big component of your care. And I think part of it is this multidisciplinary approach where, you know, working with the surgeon, working with the medical oncologist, you know, coming in as a team, having an idea, but, but not just being stuck in one in, in our ways and working with the patient, you know, figuring out not just what the best treatment is, but what's the best treatment for them. And I think that that collaborative effort really helps us personalize the care for the patient. I don't think there's always one right or wrong way of doing things. I think, you know, and and one of the benefits is is that let's say you go up to a patient and they just are adamant they don't want surgery. Well, you know, if that was part of plan A, usually we have a plan B, C, D, E, and F in place. And, And a lot of times that happens kind of in the background, in the conversations that we have with each other, with the surgeons and the medical oncologists and so on, and at the tumor boards. So I think that it's, it's really, really important. And I think that's one of the, the, the greatest attributes of Moffitt Cancer Center. 
Yeah, I I would totally agree. Um, I've got a few wrap-up questions, but before we do, can you just explain briefly what Tumor Board is? Yeah, so Multidisciplinary Tumor Board um, is a basically a meeting of the minds. You have everybody who is in that specialty there. Uh, so, for example, ours is sarcoma. We have the surgeons who specialize in sarcoma. We have the medical oncologists who specialize in sarcoma. We have the radiation oncologists who specialize in sarcoma. Right now, it's it's me. And uh, we have the radiologists and pathologists there. So everyone you would need to diagnose, to, uh, to discuss your imaging, and for your treatment plan are all there at once. And so a question is brought up, especially for more difficult cases, you know, exactly what's the extent of the disease and what is the treatment plan moving forward for the patient? Well, and I love the the fact that, okay, so Dr. Burl's my medical oncologist. You're my radiation oncologist. I love the fact that when something weird comes up, and as we've discussed, it's come up many, many times, um, that you'll take that, one or both of you will take that to tumor board. And I know that my case has the benefit of a bunch of different people discussing it because you're all really great in your field and it's neat to see that crossover so that when you come with a recommendation, I know that you guys have really gone through You're really good about that. You're like, yeah, I think this, but I want to take it to tumor board first because I want to get everybody's input. And it's just, as a patient, that's very reassuring. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I, the benefit is, is that we all, you know, we're, we don't, we don't want to approach this with big egos, right? We want to come in and we know, and we are accepting of other people's ideas and thoughts. And -hmm. I think in the end, it's really for the benefit of the patient, because the more, the more eyes that have looked at this and the more minds that have come together to discuss this, I think the, the better the approach will be and the better the treatment and care for the patient. Totally agree. And I think it's interesting. Um, a lot of, a lot of people look at doctors as this monolith and I don't think they realize how invested people are in their patients. I really don't. So I don't know. I just have felt, I have felt very cared for as a person and not just a patient as we've figured out all these different ways to negotiate the last two and a half years. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, of course. And, you know, we all, we, we root for you and we root for all our patients. Uh, and it's really always funny because Lori will come in and be like, scans are in, uh, what's it look like? And it's almost like, you know, she's excited and she's also a little nervous all at the same time, you know, just getting to the point where it's almost like a, it's almost like if the expression and the, the, um, the anxiety that you would see in a patient is almost reflected when we're looking at the images ourselves, because we were like, we're so invested that we want to have good news just as much as you do. Yeah. And uh, and so it's it's kind of it's kind of funny to see Lori come in before we go in together and be like, OK, what do the scans look like? Tell me it's good news. <laughs> no, it's, and that's and, and you feel that as a patient, you feel that. And I mean, everybody from Becky, who's a medical assistant who was going through treatment right as I started to you guys, to whomever. It's I don't know. I just feel very cared for. Um. Okay, so a couple of quick questions here at the end. What's what have you? What's probably your biggest takeaway from your work? Yeah, I would say perspective. You know, seeing the battle each patient gives every day helps give perspective to your own life. 
maybe you're exhausted from an 80 hour work week or your fridge just stops running like it's suffering from osteoarthritis. You, you have to figure out how to fix that. And even with all of these things, you know, things that happen in our day to day, things that happen during our week, you know, I remind myself that I have the opportunity to be at work and to help people and that, you know, even though I'm fighting alongside them, I can only imagine what they're going through. And so it, it really gives me a lot of perspective on my life and it helps kind of broaden my outlook. I like that. Okay. Last two questions. Um, what are some bucket list items for you personally? Okay. Bucket list items. This is going to be, <clears throat> so obviously I want to see seven wonders of the world. I think that'd be cool. But my number one bucket list item is so ridiculous that uh, I don't think anyone will actually respect my wishes. What? I want to see space. And I said, if I don't ever make it to space, I want my body shot off into space, in a capsule, into space. Um, okay. And, 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 and Victoria's like, where are you going to get the money for this? And I said, uh, yeah, savings. And she didn't, I don't think it went well. I, I think it's, a, it's probably a very expensive endeavor. But well, that's what I want. Maybe you could send I, an yeah, urn. Maybe up. not like a cannon. Like I don't imagine myself being shot out of a cannon into space because I don't know if that'll work because I'm a big bodied. But you know, oh something gosh. like that. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the last question is, what's your favorite place to be? And it doesn't have to be one. You can have a few. Okay. Places I visited: um, Barcelona and Lisbon. Um, I'll be honest, though. You know, my favorite place uh, is as important as the people I'm with. So, yeah. you know, it's part of the reason why I enjoy being at work. Um, and a lot of times I appreciate the simple things like sitting on the couch, you know, watching garbage television with Victoria uh, or, or, you know, going and watching the game. You know, these sort of things are just like, you know, the simple things that sometimes you appreciate. Now, I haven't had, you know, children or anything yet. So, uh, that's a whole nother, you know, bag of worms. Oh, but yeah. I think those are, those are uh, f- new favorite places that I'll, that I'll, you know, we'll all learn together. Well, um, thank you for doing this. You're just, I think the world of you and I really appreciate all you've done for me and for my family. H- how are you guys doing with COVID? I remember last time we spoke, did her, did her test come back negative? Nope. Still waiting. So she's going to call again today and see if it'll come back. My daughter's home quarantining uh, because she flew home from school. But yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. We'll figure out a way to have Merry Christmas no matter what, even if we're all masked up and the doors are open. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. I'm, I'm glad that you had me on. I'm, uh, I'm, if it, you know, I'm glad I was able to answer your questions. Let me know if there's anything else I can do. It's crucial to have providers you trust when you're fighting cancer, and that's why I'm so grateful for Dr. Nagavi and all of my team at Moffitt. This week, as we head into the new year, please see if there's something nice you can do for somebody else just to make their life a little bit easier. And then look around you, count your blessings, and make it a really great week. Thanks for listening.